Well, good morning. I'm so glad you guys are here, and it's a great day to be able to worship God. And even though our pews are empty and your couch is not, that's a great thing when we're all able to come together in His name. And so we want to talk a little bit today about facing danger. This, this one is in the face of danger, we wait upon the Lord. And that may not sound like a very exciting title, but there's one of my favorite stories we want to talk about today. And so I just want you to be aware of that and, and that there are times when we have to wait. It seems like there's all kinds of times when we're waiting on God. I don't know how, what your experience, if God answers your prayers immediately or if you've had to ask Him a couple of times. Because sometimes it seems like we've got to wait and God will respond later. Well, it may be because, as we talked about last week, we're able to go in, we're able to fight a battle, we're able to win, we're able to do everything. But then, you know, sometimes you still got the battle, but there isn't a way to fight, and there isn't a way to win right now. And there might be something later on. Some solutions are not so evident right at the, mor- right at the moment. And so we can think about that, we can understand that we should do something, but what do you do when there's nothing to do? When there isn't anything that says, well, here's what I, and there's no way to fight, there's, there's no way to win at that time, and so do you just do the first thing you can? Let me advise you that we need to wait till there's a better answer, till there's a time when we can do the right thing when we can depend on God and we can see how God is working everything out. The story I want to tell is about Jehoshaphat. It's in Second Chronicles. I don't know why it wasn't in my uh, normal upbringing, but uh, for some reason they missed Jehoshaphat. Maybe it was too hard to pronounce. But if you look at Second Chronicles chapter 20, you're going to see a story of how they did this right to wait on God. And so maybe you've heard this story and maybe it's not quite as familiar. Jehoshaphat had been a good king. Now, not all the kings at this time were good, but Jehoshaphat had been a great king. He had torn down all the idols. He had restored Israel. He had brought their worship back. He had done a tremendous amount of things. And so he was just trying to follow God. But even when you're trying to follow God, sometimes bad things happen. And so, sure enough, bad things happen because the Moabites, the Ammonites come for battle. So, once again, you're faced with this battle. Well, we learned how to do that last week, right? You need to get the kid with the sling, and he'll go out and he'll win the battle. Well, except for this time, there's no giant. There's no one man coming out, and I guess he could throw a rock, but he can't hit the whole army. And so things have changed. It's a whole different strategy now. And I think we see this sometimes that the strategy that works for some people doesn't work for us because we're not exactly in the same situation. And so he does not run away. He proclaims a fast in Judah. And then he has the people all come together. And I want to share with you the prayer that he offers this time. It's starting in verse 5 of Second Chronicles chapter 20. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem and in the house of the Lord before the new court. 
And he said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of the land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and built for you a sanctuary for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before the house and before you, for in your name, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save us. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy, behold, they reward us by coming out to drive us out of your possession, which you have given to us to inherit. Our God, will you not execute judgment for them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. And we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Well, you can look at the situation and you can see how Jehoshaphat offers a prayer. And I just want to be able to look at this prayer that he offers because in this I think we can see some of the ways to do this right. If there's ever a chance to do it right, this is one of the best examples that we have. I like this because he's able to say, I don't know what to do. And sometimes we find ourselves in that situation. We don't know exactly what to do. But there are several things that he does in all of this. And so as he offers this prayer, the first thing he does is to tell God how powerful he is. God, we know about you. We know how powerful you are. We know that you're the one who's creator of everything. We know that we were able as a people to be led by you to come out of Egypt, to go in and to conquer, and you drove out the inhabitants of Canaan. You gave it to Abraham. Abraham was your friend. He lived in the land. He was able to be there. And as the people grew up, eventually they built this temple, this sanctuary. And he's referring to the time with Solomon. And in, if you go back to chapter 6 in Second Chronicles, there was a time where Solomon built this temple. And Jehoshaphat has chosen the place where he's saying this prayer. He's out in the court of this same temple. And he's saying, God, I want you to remember this and remember how when he built this temple, he said there's going to come some hard times and there's going to be difficulties and there's going to be famine. And when we realize that we need your help and when we see you, God, we want to come and face this temple, stretch out our hands toward this temple and say, God, please help us. And that you will hear us at that time, that you will come and deliver us. And so he's reminding God that that's exactly what Solomon had said. And then he presents the problem. And here's our problem, God. We've got people who are coming against us. Moab and Ammon, we had left them alone before. You had told us to leave them alone. We didn't do anything to them. And now they've repaid us by coming to attack us. But he doesn't say us. He says they're coming to attack the people that you gave this land to. And he puts everything in terms of who God is 
and in terms of what God has done. And it's not a pity party where he says, oh, poor us, we're about to be attacked. We're about to be destroyed. Our homes are going to be lost. He says, no, God, you gave us this inheritance, and your inheritance that you gave to us as your people is about to be lost. I think we need to learn how to pray better. Maybe we need to take a glance at this prayer and understand that when you pray to God, don't tell him about how pitiful you are. Talk to him about how great he is and about his plan and about what he's doing and about what he wants. And so as you look at this, it's, it's one of those times where you're able to see this greatness of God and as he turns toward this, he's, he's trying to get to God and for God to realize this. He lays out this threat And he is able to say, this is your possession. That's who we are. That's where we've come. He has a place where he goes. He knows exactly what the plan is. And that's one of the things I want you to realize, is that he realizes that he's powerless, that he doesn't know what to do. And then he says, God, our eyes are on you. But he's already called people together. He's declared a fast. He has been able to praise God for what God's able to do. He knows about the temple, and he knows about the judgment that God gave, that if they would turn and go toward that temple or hold their hands out or pray toward that temple, then the God of heaven would come and deliver them. And he's going back to that promise and saying, we are trusting the promise that you gave us, God. And so he knows exactly where it is. He knows the place where he's going to be. He's going to stand in the courtyard of that temple where God resides. And so that's just one of the things I think is amazing. And so when he says we don't know what to do, it's not like he's uncertain at all. He's very, very certain. He says our eyes are on you. But there's not an answer yet. And so we just wait for you. But we've known to do all of those things. And so I hope when you face a situation where you feel like you're in distress or danger or, or something is difficult, that you'll be able to do some of those same things, that you'll be able to pray to God. Perhaps you want to fast. Perhaps you want to, to recognize the greatness of God and talk about God. But then He also talks about the place where you would go. And he talks about where you would stand. I don't I know we're kind of stuck at home right now, and I don't know where you would go. Where would you go when you need to pray deep? Where do you go for that? Well, let's go back to the story in Second Chronicles twenty. Look at verse thirteen with me. He says, Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, their children, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. 
you will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid, do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. Well, this is one of those amazing things. I love it when God is able to act so quickly like this. He prays, and it isn't as if He gives it all to one guy. Jehoshaphat's the king, but that's not who He gives the answer to. He gives the answer to the guy who's sitting in the back row. He gives the answer to Jehaziel. He's one of the Levites. He's of the priestly tribe. And so he tells him, here's the answer of the Lord. And he says, don't be afraid. I want you to be able to realize that all you have to do is stand. God is going to fight this battle. This battle isn't yours. You just need to fight. You just need to follow God and and do what God wants. Because God is the one who's going to fight. And so he says, I want you to stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord. Well, this is amazing. He's got the answer. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. And they get the response that comes after this is they all fall down and they worship God. And some of them are standing up to be able to praise God. And they realize that this is a great thing, that God is going to deliver them. And they absolutely believe it's going to happen. And so in the morning, they get ready to go out. Because that's what God said. Well, if he's going to fight the battle, do you have to show up? Well, because that's what God said. And so... It's not going to be the same if they don't go. They need to be there for for why? They don't have to fight. But they need to be there as part of the process of what God is doing. And I think sometimes we pray for an answer from God. We want Him to understand. We want Him to answer us, to give us a great miracle. But did we have to get out of the house? Did we have to do anything? We didn't want to show up. No, you have to show up in order to be there. Even if God's going to do it all, you have to be there in order to praise God. Right now, stay at home. But when this is done, you need to be where God's working. You need to be where God's doing things. And so, it says in verse 20, And they rose early in the morning, and they went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood, and he said, Hear me, Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire. And they went before the army and say, Give thanks to the Lord, for His steadfast love endures forever. That's got to be one of my favorite passages. I know I have a lot of them. But believe in the Lord your God, believe in the prophets, and you will succeed. And then he says, we need to talk. Okay, so they're going out to no battle, but who do you send first? Well, you would send the army first because you're going out to a battle, but you don't have to fight. 
He says, what if we sent the singers first? The singers? Why would you send the singers? Because they're the ones we need in action right now. They're the ones who's going to praise God because the battle's already been won. And so before the army, they get to go too. Let's send the singers out first. And the singers are going to sing about thanks to the Lord and that his steadfast love endures forever. I know you're thinking, but what if they attack? There is no what if. God's already said exactly how it's going to go. And they believe that enough to act like they believe it. And so they send the singers out first. And what an incredible song about the steadfast love of the Lord. And I want you to notice the next part in verse 22. It says, And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come out against Judah so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they also helped to destroy one another. Well, that's incredible. How did that happen? But also notice the timing. When they began to sing and praise, that's when God set the ambush. Didn't God have this plan before? Didn't God have this all worked out before exactly how it was going to go? And No, it's kind of a, a live thing that he's doing because he's saying, you know, when they showed enough faith to send singers out first and enough to start the praise before they even saw the army that was coming, they had a victory chant going. A victory march going. And, and then God sets the ambush and this group fights this group and this group fights the other group and then eventually they're all destroyed. And as they come out, they get to a turn. They come to the watchtower. In verse 24, when Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground and none had escaped. That's their first view. The Lord had delivered. Come and see the salvation of the Lord. And sometimes that's what God wants is for us to watch the magnificence of what God does. It's not just about our dilemma, our problem, and they defixed it and we can go on. No, come and watch how God does it, and then give him praise and give him glory for what he does. They don't fight the battle. God fought the battle for them. But here are some things that they did. They trusted, they praised, and they believed. They declared a fast. They called everyone together. They decided to pray. They talked to God about the insult against God. And they let God know that this was for His sake. They heard what God said back. And whether you hear it because there's a prophet in the room or you hear it because there's a scripture out of a Bible that sits in front of you, you need to hear what God is saying to you about the situation you're in.
And so they heard God and they responded in courage and in praise. Rather than panic, they said, we wait on God. Well, they could have jumped. They could have said, everybody get your swords, let's go fight. But that's not what's best. He said, we're patient. We wait on the Lord and for what God does. We don't run away. We don't feel sorry for ourselves. We don't sit in a puddle of our own tears. We wait on the Lord. And so, waiting. Why is there waiting? I think we need to understand this part. You remember back in the olden days, back long, long ago, when you could actually go into a restaurant and sit down and order food? I mean, yeah, it's been since January, probably, since you've been out to eat. And so there's no way to even go in. But you would go in a restaurant, and they had these things called menus. Some of you probably don't remember that far back. But you could actually look at the menu and look down, and I always got the one with the best picture because, you know, it's too much trouble to read all those words. So you find the best picture, and you say, I want that. And sure enough, there's a waitress who comes and who takes your order back, and then they've got to cook it, and then you've got to wait, and then they bring it all out because they've got arms full carrying all this great food. I want you to know it doesn't take God that long. We have an instantaneous God. We're not waiting on God to get things ready. God could do it in a flash and it's not about waiting for God to get it ready. Now, we might be waiting for God to set it up. And what's the difference in that? Well, it might be there's not a good answer immediately. Because I don't know if this is your experience or not, but it seems as if God answers a lot of prayers together. This guy's prayer, and this guy's prayer, and this guy's prayer, and this guy's prayer. And sure enough, this one answered that, and this one's answered this, and this one answered this one. And we can see how God sets all of these up together. And so it might be waiting on us to get to the place where we are the answer to each other's prayer. If you think about it, there's a eunuch riding along in a chariot wondering about this Bible study out of Isaiah. And Philip's looking for a Bible study, and God gets the two together. There's Peter and Cornelius. I mean, they don't know each other and would never associate with each other. But God somehow puts the two together, and prayers are answered in multiple ways and in multiple layers. And so that thing happens a lot of times, and it happens at the right time when we are ready because God waited for us. We do have an instantaneous God. You realize creation is in seven statements, not just seven days. I mean, he says one statement on each day, but it could have been seven minutes because he gives seven statements, and I think he puts them on different days so that we'll be able to understand the magnitude of what's going on. It isn't as if it took that much time for something to shift. After all, it's not that long. When you call fire down from heaven, it happens in an instant, right? I mean, remember the story with Elijah, and when he calls fire down from heaven, it, it isn't like it slowly drops a little further, a little further, a little further. No, it's just 
but he waited until the time of the evening sacrifice. He waited until after he had repaired the altar of the Lord. He waited until after he had poured water all over it, just to know how impossible it was going to be for God. And then, instant, God responded. Well, I think God's waiting on us to realize the significance of what God is doing. And so waiting on the Lord is not so much about waiting for God to accomplish in the background. Waiting on the Lord is an attitude that we have whereby we can realize what God is doing around us. And so there's a huge difference in that. God works it for maximum good. God works it for maximum impact. And his timing is incredible because he's waiting for us. We're not waiting for him. He could be immediate. And there is something that we gain. It's an attitude we need to have of reliance on him. So actually we're waiting on ourselves to learn something. I don't know if you remember the time when you had small children. If you've had small children, I'm sure you have seen things like this. Everybody has one. It's one of the things that happens. Your child wants the cookies. It's not time to have cookies, but they want the cookies. And so how do they ask? How do they get those cookies? Well, it's you know, lay down on the floor, start screaming, start kicking, start... And they thro basically throw a tantrum, right? I mean, that's what happens sometimes. And sometimes it gets really kind of embarrassing because you have to just kind of drag them along because they're not going to do this. They think they can embarrass you, but you know you were there before and that's what your mom and dad did to you. And so this is what happens. You throw a tantrum so that you can get your way, right? After all, God responds much better when we demand, I am not going to eat the broccoli. You're going to sit there for hours until somehow you've managed to hide all that broccoli. Or we can wait and we can be patient. And I think sometimes our prayers look more like the screaming child that's trying to say, God, you've got to deliver me. You have got to do this to me, for me, with me. And we have completely missed the idea that God is the one who's in control and that we are just waiting for his timing. Which one gets what they want from the parent? Well, none of those, because the parent said no. But which one does less damage to the relationship? Well, I think it's got to be the one who learns how to wait. And I think sometimes we get pretty demanding about the coronavirus. And about the fact that we got to go back to work, and we got to get out, and we got to do this, and God, you better fix it, and God, you better... We need to learn some things. And whether we open things up soon or later, I don't have an opinion on that. I don't know what's best. I'd say we need to wait for God. I'd say we need to look at Him. But sometimes our demands can do us damage. 
And it's not the way to do things. When we look at the timing of God and look at all through the Bible, we're able to see incredible things. They waited for prophets, but you can't say, well, he said it last week, and so it's fulfilled this week. No, he said it a thousand years ago, and it's fulfilled now. They waited till the time of a kingdom. They waited till after a time when idols don't seem to be a threat. It's more a hyper-religious time. They waited to get into a promised land. Well, what were they waiting on? You see, they sat at the edge of the promised land in two years. Why did they go for 40? Well, they went for 40 years in the wilderness because they didn't believe God could take them into the promised land. They were waiting on themselves as they wandered in circles. We need to learn how to wait on the Lord so that we can depend on Him. And that we're not wasting all the time waiting on ourselves and blaming God for it. Just a couple more passages in this. Look at Psalm 37 with me. He says, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend the faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Well, there's a few things that he says here that are very, very important. And I think David must have learned those because here's what he writes about this. He says, here's the things I want you to be able to do. He says, I want you to trust in God. Trust that God can do good. Trust and be faithful. I want you to delight in the Lord. And then he gives you the delight of your heart. How much better is that? I want you to commit your way to the Lord and he will act. And so he's giving us those things as not a, a thing that, well, that we're doing nothing. No, he's given you three already. And then the last one, he says, I want you to be still and rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Those are not doing nothing. Those are when you are doing something very actively on purpose. And the best part is you can do them while you're still at home. You don't have to get out. You don't have to go anywhere to do those. But you can start those while you're at home. And then maybe one of the, another favorite passage, I'll just put it that way, is from Isaiah chapter 40. It's not a good time in Israel. They have fallen away and they're not doing good things. And they are in the middle of captivity and, and being taken. But... Their disaster is what Isaiah writes about. He says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator to the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. 
They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I like that promise from Isaiah. What an incredible thing it is. It doesn't say bad things aren't going to come. Sometimes they do. And they may not come because of anything that you did. And it may not be your fault. And it may not be anybody else's fault. But he starts about God. You're an everlasting God over all things. You don't ever get tired. You don't ever get weary. You're a God who is powerful all the time. You understand everything all the time. Because the main thing we do is we put our emphasis in youth. The young people can be strong. The young people, and they don't fail. They're the ones who fight. They're the ones who do great. I notice that especially on hiking trails as I'm out trying to hike. And it's always the young people who are just flashing right by me up the hill. They're not even breathing hard. I mean, really, they could at least breathe hard, don't you think? I think it'd be much better if they would at least give the rest of us some encouragement of some kind. But he says, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Not those who are young. Not those who demand. Not those who put God in a box. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They'll have wings like eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. So learning to wait on God is extremely important. It's one of the things that you need to learn to do, and this is the best place to do it, is right at home. You can't go anywhere and distract yourself with everything else. I don't know what to do in this situation. I'm sure that doesn't surprise you. There's no prophecy. There's no answer for this. We pray for God to deal with the virus. We pray for Him to deal with the sickness. There's been a lot of tragedy. And we keep talking about when things go back to normal. I'm not sure we're going back to normal. We may be going on to something else. But I think this may be most important. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. It's not the young. It's not the overly prepared. It's the one who hopes in the Lord. You see, when I wait, God strengthens my heart. And we do see prayers being answered. We do say God is able to bless His people in all of this. And so today, I pray that God will strengthen your heart. We will be through this. I don't know what it'll look like on the other side. But I expect it'll be a time when we can all praise God. 